Hey, everybody. Thanks for downloading The Tully Show. A quick reminder, in less than one week, you can get your meaty paws on uh, my new book with Jason Ellis. Still awesome. The Trials and Tribulations of an Egotistical Maniac, available for pre-sale, bordering on actual sale at jasonellisbook.com. Dot com. A couple people have asked me what this book is about. I kind of thought it was obvious. So real quick, it's the next phase, like the next chapter in Jason's autobiography. There was the book, I'm Awesome. Probably almost everybody listening to this read that book. And then there was the second one. We didn't really talk about that one a whole lot. And then this book picks up exactly where the last one left off. And it's staggering, man. If you see where the first book started and even ended to where this one ends... I was thinking about it, and I'm going to make a Game of Thrones analogy. It's like Samuel Tarly. Do you remember? That's his name, right? The guy from the Night Watch Wall people? Like, starts off as the biggest wuss in the history of television, and by the end, spoiler alert, is credibly murdering uh, medieval magic zombies. And you believe that. Because the character has evolved little by little, piece by piece, in logical little steps to where he ends up as a completely different person than where he started. And you're like, no, that all makes sense. That's the way I feel about the trajectory of the first book I did with Jason, I'm Awesome, through the end of this most recent one. You could never have imagined the guy in the first book is going to end up as the guy at the end of the second book. And yet you're like, this all makes sense as it goes. It is a... It's a goddamn saga, is what it is. It's an epic. And I encourage everybody to check it out. It ships on Tuesday, the 10th. Order it now. JasonEllisBook.com. Thank you. Okay, you ready to start this show? Uh, your host of the evening is a really funny dude. Um, I forgot his last name, but I've seen him before, and he's really funny. Uh, give it up for Mike. Oh, to you live on tape from the penthouse of a partially completed commercial high-rise in glamorous Hollywood adjacent California from the studios of Sirius XM West boasting an obstructed view of one of LA's leading cement factories this is the Tully Show I am your host Mike Tully joining me today the proud owner of a second-generation pair of silver leather pants, a man who can play the guitar solo from Poison's Every Rose Has Its Thorn, essentially note for note. Yes, very excited to be joined by myself, Mike Tully, here on The Tully Show. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening, as always. I hope you're enjoying your holiday season. And that's an easy thing to say, but I mean it. Holidays are great, dude. Because otherwise, we're just running around, just doing our shit. We're just little uh, Billy Corgan-esque rats in the cage, handling our responsibilities, getting the laundry done, getting a buzz on Friday, Saturday night, regrettably nursing a hangover Sunday night, putting the kids in the bathtub, waking up, rinse, repeat, working hard for our money every day until the day we die. And the holidays are the one time that we just go, I'm going to buy a bunch of things that uh, that I'm too busy to buy, that I don't have the money to purchase, that I'm going to give to people who will, in most instances, just pretend to be happy to receive them from me, because that's great. Because we're just going to stop and we're going to pretend that we like uh, butternut squash one day, and then starting shortly thereafter, we're all going to hang out outside of Best Buy in the dark and then trample each other. And then we're going to, we'll segue from that into pretending that we enjoy eggnog and, uh, and Christmas music. And, and that's life. This is the stuff of life. These are the days. So happy holidays to each and every one of you. I'm busy. I'm losing it. I can feel myself barely holding on by a thread. I don't feel like I'm doing the intro of this show to the best of my ability. People um, have brought up with some frequency that they enjoy it when I nail certain parts of it, because that's that's my song, right, that I made, that I'm talking over. And there's certain syllables or words or whatever that I just, boom, with the big chord, and it, it sounds good. I sound like a pro when I do it, and it feels good when I hit it, and I can't find it, man. It's been a while since I've done the intro of this show properly, and um, I think that's a metaphor. I think that's a metaphor for where I am right now. I'm just... I'm doing the best I can, 
is a man with a job and responsibilities and a uh, a little baby who gets incredibly angry whenever I try to wash her hair. I gave a baby a bath this morning. This is not work. Giving a baby a bath before you've had coffee, that's work. So uh, I wanted to talk to you about a story today. And I, I know people who listen to the Jason Ellis Show and have heard me on the Jason Ellis Show have heard me mention this story many, many times. And I've told it in part and in shortened form many, many times. But I, I've definitely never gone into it in great detail. It's just not really, that show's not really a forum for me to hold the conch. Conch? Con- it's probably a conch, right? To hold the conch for 35 minutes at a time and um, regale you with uh, tales of my misspent youth. But this show, I really, it occurred to me this morning while I was giving a baby a bath. This is a perfect place for it. So I want to talk to you about the the dumbest day I ever had in my entire life. And obviously I was not particularly dumb that day. I was just dumb for a very long period of time. And this particular day that I want to talk to you about today was the day that I finally, reality caught up with me and I paid the price for my idiocy. I'm referring to a fateful day years ago when I was mugged twice in one day in the city of Chicago while trying to buy marijuana. So here's here's the way it starts. I had finished high school and my friend and I decided to drive across the country. I did not have a driver's license and at no point in the process did it occur to me, hey, we're driving 7,000 miles. Maybe I should go get a permit. And in my defense, never once did it occur to my friend. If it did, he never brought it up. I think he probably sensed correctly that I was a menace to society and to myself and to him if I did drive in those days. And um, and that he figured he'd rather take that bullet than it was more comfortable for him to drive me across America and back than to have to endure sitting next to me driving. And his instinct was largely right for reasons we'll get into in uh, in a bit. We're joined by a third guy, and at this point, I had not met this guy. Um, I think I can say my friends' first names. I don't think I could probably say their last names. I don't think they would have any um, legal objection to that. So Eric's my buddy from New Jersey, Dan. Dan's this guy. Eric was smarter than everybody else. He's still one of the smarter people that I know. When it came time to go to college, everybody, well, I came to the conclusion that I was going to rock and roll all night and part of every day. And so I had no need for, you know, school was for fools. So I dipped out and very quickly started collecting unemployment, engaging in staring contests with a house cat. That was pretty much where my life was when I was 18 or so. Most of my friends decided to go to schools that were near home. Eric was the only person smart enough to say, I'm going to go live somewhere cool. He goes out. He lives in Santa Barbara. I'm from New Jersey. He goes to school in Santa Barbara. If you haven't been, mwah, highly recommend as close to paradise on earth as the continental United States has to offer, in my opinion. So Eric goes out there and then quickly drops out along the way, befriends this guy, Dan, who I know by legend of being kind of a Burt Kreischer-esque party animal. Before I met Burt, Dan was Dan was my Burt. So I only know him by reputation, and Dan is supposed to join us. And Well, Dan will also be driving me across America. That's very nice of him. And so Dan is a dyed-in-the-wool, Southern California, Orange County guy, and he flies into New York. And, um, well, it's not his fault because we signed up for him leaving all of his luggage in the trunk of Eric's car. About Eric's car, this is the automobile we will be driving across the nation over the the Rockies, through the desert, what have you. 82 Oldsmobile. I believe it got less than 20 miles to, to the gallon. Obviously the perfect vehicle for a cross-country trek. So Dan comes to town. We pick him up at the airport. He's got his luggage puts it in the trunk. We immediately take him to New York City because the absolute coolest thing that we knew to do in those days was to go to Washington Square Park, which is a tiny little, it's more of a square than a park in downtown New York, which was the place where 
marijuana was essentially legally, quasi-legally tolerated. Everybody knew that it went on there, and as long as the dealers didn't wander out of the confines of it, more than a block or so, the cops more or less turned a blind eye. So we'd go there, and we'd buy a dime bag of you know, just the crappiest weed ever seeds, stems. I don't know if, if gram wise what we're talking about, but it was, it was next to nothing. You'd go buy a couple of those and then you try to get into a bar that would serve you. And if that failed, you would end up sitting next to an apartment complex on the concrete in the cold, drinking a 40, smoking your weed. This was our idea of a good time. We were kicking ass. We were welcoming our friend from out of town and showing him all of the local color and hospitality we knew how, and that's what that was. And in the course of our doing that, Eric's trunk of the Oldsmobile, the 82 Olds, got broken into and Dan's luggage was stolen. So what do most people do? You go to Kmart, you get some more clothes. What did Dan do? Dan borrowed an outfit from us. Well, no, that's not true. I think we may have lent him... A couple of t-shirts and maybe more than one. No, I guess he just kept that pair of pants that he was wearing. The important part of this is I lent Dan a pair of boxers, which Dan then wore across America and which he then tried to return to me. I don't know if he still has them, but I do not. I did not accept those back. As, as far as I'm concerned, if I lend you underwear and you wear them for, well, if you wear them, those are yours now. Me underwear as Sue underwear. So we have a couple days to get ready to embark on our cross-country journey. And like I said, we could have. Sensible people might have gone and bought Dan clothes. We just went and stocked up on weed, on marijuana. And the good stuff for us, which was still just disgusting shit. To this day, I feel like my brain has not recovered from this weed. Everybody used to say that they would take really, really shitty weed, or maybe even not weed, catnip, what have you, and then spray uh, rat poison, I think was the, the hot rumor, the urban legend on it, and you would smoke that and that would give you a bit of a buzz. I don't know if that is true, but I do feel like there is a small but critical part of my brain that I left in Harlem around 1996. Maybe I was just never as bright as I thought it was. And maybe I was just bound to get stupider as we went along. Maybe that's just the way brains and life works. But anyway, we need to get supplies for our cross-country journey. So we go to 125th Street in Harlem, where it blows my mind to say this, there were fronts all over the place. There were these candy shops. And here's the funny thing. I don't, there apparently was a pretty decent demand for hard candy in Harlem. Because you'd go into a candy shop and 50% of the time there would just be this old, sticky, still in the wrappers, ossified, inedible, old lady candy in token amounts that was the front. And obviously the authorities knew what was going on, but the authorities, A, as I've mentioned, mostly tolerated marijuana in Manhattan in those days, and B, had far bigger fish to fry. So... A lot of times there's just a couple pieces of candy and they would sell you weed. But very often I can recall going into a candy shop and saying, I'll take however many nickel sacks and they'd go, no, 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 it's the next candy store over. This is a real candy store. So we hit a bunch of candy stores. I remember we met a dealer and he told us that he had the best weed in Harlem. And from now on, he was our guy and that we never need search for quality marijuana in Harlem ever again. All we need to do is return to 125th Street and ask anybody where we could find black. Needless to say, we never saw that guy again or uh, dropped that name on 125th Street in the shadow of the world-famous Apollo Theater. But we stocked up to the best of our teenage ability. We probably got, mm, we got 200 bucks worth of like nickel sacks. And then we knew that we had to protect ourselves from the law, so we we fell on this amazingly foolproof plan whereby we would buy a suitcase. We actually bought a suitcase that had a little like um like a three number combination on it and we we put the weed in there and we were going to say if we ever got stopped that that was our dad's suitcase and that we had accidentally taken our dad's professional suitcase with us on our cross country journey. That's not ours. Don't worry about the contents of that. This is the caliber of intellect that we were dealing with here. Also, we had decked out the 82 Oldsmobile. We had my friend Eric, like I say, clever guy, had installed these wooden boards across what should have been the the, the feet 
wells where you put your foot. So it was just flat across and you'd put some like mattress foam padding kind on, on it. So you could, you could just about, you had to lay in the back seat, but you could, if you angled yourself, you could just about lay flat black there. So we were fucking styling and we set off for like a two and a half week journey with all the weed that we would need. And I don't know how long it takes to get to Chicago. I know when we drove to Vermont and then we crossed an international border with weed. That was clever of us. Knowing now what I did not know then about Canada, we assumed that they were harmless and that they would be intimidated by Americans and just wave us through. And I would never, I would never do that nowadays. I wouldn't bring a cap gun to Canada nowadays. Dan, by the way, was, as it turned out, a native Canadian. And he was passed through with a national ID card that had a photo of him when I think he was seven years old. So like I say, the border security was more serious than I realized at the time. At the same time, this was very much a pre 9-11 world. We went up there. We went to a strip club. The stripper spoke French. I thought I did. Turns out I, I do not. And I sure didn't then. And if you, if you ever want a stripper to like leave you alone, try speaking French to a French speaking stripper and she'll decide that nothing is worth enduring putting up with you. Uh, also, I've mentioned this a million times. I did not have an ID because I don't have a driver's license and I'd never gone and got one of those whatever IDs because all I did was use my fake ID to go to bars in New York City. That's what I needed ID for. So I actually brought my birth certificate with me on this entire trip, stuck it inside this insane like Rodney Dangerfield suit jacket that I was wearing. We were oh, we got them at Goodwill. We didn't get Dan clothes, but we got suit jackets and 150 bucks worth of weed. And years later, I was at my parents' house and I found that ugly suit jacket sports jacket whatever you know like a like the kind that the guys wore and like the less filling tastes great like bob Euchre, miller light ads that kind of awful shit caddyshack stuff and i just so happened to find the jacket and just so happened in, in my parents basement just so happened to take it off of the the hanger and sure enough there was my birth certificate and that's the only reason that i'm able to still prove that i am a human being you could run like a barack obama birther campaign against me were it not for the fact that i happen to go fishing in that pocket again years and years later but so we do canada and then we dip back down i think we went through detroit and boy i thought i'd seen a lot of off-brand malt liquor in in manhattan and harlem but kudos to you detroit your malt liquor game in the 90s was especially strong and then we arrive in chicago which uh, as I mentioned, it's about three days into our three-week trip, and we are flat out out of weed. We've done a terrible job of estimating exactly how much we could smoke, which in those days, I don't want to brag, but we were able to smoke a pretty impressive amount of horrible brain-altering weed in those days. So we were not really concerned about that because, you know, kids just assume that w- what they've known growing up is the way things are. I've spent a lot of time in New York. I went to high school in New York. You can just buy weed in New York. I go, okay, well, thank goodness we're in Chicago. Let's just go buy some weed. And remember, the first thing that we did was go and we spotted an art school. And there are these kids hanging out in front of an art school. And they're smoking cigarettes. And we go, where do you buy weed around here? And they say, we have no idea. And I will never stop resenting those people because, God damn it, there's only two things kids in art school know how to do, and it's it's like waste their parents' money and where to buy drugs. So they did not help us. We were thrown to the wolves, and we're just sort of wandering around. It's, as I think most people listening to this can probably relate to, simply not an option for us to set off across the western expanse of Lewis and Clark America without weed. We just have to find it, and we're going to have to take some chances. Fortuitously. We then, very shortly thereafter, encountered a guy who's like a nervous, twitchy kind of guy, but he was wearing a fanny pack that said, say no to drugs. And like, obviously, thank you. This is perfect. So we say, hey, where do you get drugs? And he goes, I know where to get drugs. And we said, we're looking. He said, what do you want? I said, weed. And he said, hey, you're in luck. Not only do I know where the dealer lives, I have some friends who are coming to pick me up. And they would be happy to give you a ride to the dealer's house. No alarm bells whatsoever go off in 
any of our minds that there might be something fishy about this arrangement. So his friends pull up. He nervously scampers over to the passenger seat, has a muted conversation with these guys, and they go, yeah, 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 hop on in. And there's four other guys in this car. Two dudes in the front, two dudes in the back. They let me hop in, bitch. And then Say No to Drugs sits down next to me. And we start driving. And I am among the dumbest people you have ever encountered. But even I, after 5, 10, 15 minutes, start to suspect that something might be awry about this arrangement for two reasons. One, because the two guys in the front are trying to figure out where their friend lives. And it's like, I think he's over here. No, I think he might really be over here. Meanwhile, say no to drugs is next to me. And he kind of starts like smacking the back of the palm of his hand with the back of his other hand and saying stuff like, man, when it's your time, it's your time and it's just your time. And I'm like, okay, this is not good. And finally they decide that their friend lives in like under an overpass and we pull in there and the voice of sanity and kind of the de facto quiet leader of this ragtag bunch is the guy driving and he turns around to me and he says you know you're an idiot right and i go yeah yeah no i get it and he goes give us your wallet and all of your money and oh i forgot to mention we had gone to an atm and gotten definitely north of a hundred dollars because we need to we now know that we need a serious amount of marijuana until we get to Santa Barbara, which is, you know, home base for my buddies, Dan and Eric, we'll be able to reload there. We're going to need at least that much. So I've got, I've got twenties on me when twenties really, really meant something when you're 17 years old. So he goes, you know, you're an idiot. And I go, yeah. And they go, give us your wallet. And I had the gumption because there is a certain sort of bravery in being a complete fucktard to say, guys, my my wallet is worthless to you. I just need my ID and shit like that. Can I just give you the the cash? And the leader guy goes, you are a fucking moron, but come on, guys, let him, let him keep his wallet. So I've always kind of respected him for that. So they take my cash and they leave me in I don't know where Chicago and drive off to probably buy drugs. I never really thought about that until this moment, but ironically, they probably spent the money on what it was intended to be spent for, so at least somebody was winning. Oh, and I forgot a really big part of this. I'm not wearing shoes at this point, and neither were Eric or Dan, and I have had 25 years to reflect on that to give you a good excuse, reason for why that was the case, and I have absolutely nothing. Eric was the guy who decided that there was nothing shoes could do that feet couldn't do just as well. I mean, after all, you can clean off your feet, can't you? And I just went for that line of thinking, and then Dan is a friendly guy, so when he found out that shoes were not how we rolled... He got rid of his shoes as well. And now, mind you, I was spending a lot of time in New York City, which is famously pretty filthy. And yes, I was shoeless there essentially at all times. I've been on the New York City subway. I walked across Central Park. I was a doorman that summer. And I used to walk out of this beautiful, palatial, God knows how much per unit apartment building on Manhattan's elite Upper East Side with disgusting bare feet. I'd work with shoes on naturally, but then I would finally free my doggies at the end of a shift and start walking out. And the the boss told me that it was no longer acceptable for me to leave work shoeless. So to stick it to the man, I bought a pair of flip-flops that I would wear to the edge of the corner. And as soon as I was around the corner, fuck you, man, I'm carrying my shoes and walking around barefoot on rat shit strewn pavement because this is my generation, motherfucker. So we don't have shoes. And I'm Back now in Chicago, I don't know where, and this is pre-cell phone, critically. So I have no way of, of calling my friends. They have no way of contacting me. I don't think I asked the my new friends, my, my muggers, where to go. So maybe I just looked for where the tall buildings were and started ducking back that way. So I start walking, and I got I have drum cigarettes, you know, rolled up cigarettes. And I'm just walking around, and and uh, smoking my cigarettes and trying to find my buddies and not wearing shoes and getting a little bummed out because that was a an unexpected blow. 
I definitely had it in my head, and I think the three of us had it in our collective head, that because we were fake New Yorkers, really from New Jersey, we could handle anything that any lesser city had to throw at us. We could just kind of go in there and, you know, take our gloves off and smack people in the face with them and demand satisfaction and that they were just going to, you know, they were going to be alphaed. We were going to beta everybody with our superior northern New Jersey ways. And this was the first clear hint that that was that was not going to be the case. Because in New York, I had refused to be mugged before. Mind you, I'd been mugged. I got mugged. I don't remember how many times I got mugged. I got hug mugged one time. I think that was later on. I mean, this I I learned nothing from this whole story I'm in the middle of telling you right now. One time I was in a subway and a guy started telling me about how he was troubled and trying to find his way and felt like the world had given up on him. And I'm like, I didn't give up on you, man. If I'm part of the world and there's other people like me. And he's like, hey, can we just talk? And so we've walked around in like the cold in downtown Manhattan while he blatantly tried to look for places to mug me while occasionally stopping to hug me. And then he mugged me and he took my stuff and uh, I think he gave me a Bible or something. So, but there have been other times where I was in New York's Washington Square Park and I can recall a guy coming up to me and saying, hey man, I got this park covered. I got guys at every entrance. Give me your money. And I'm like, I don't think you actually are operating with any sort of paramilitary mugging militia. So no, thank you. I'm not getting mugged by you today. And he's like, no, seriously, don't fucking, you don't want to. I'm not the guy you want to make angry. And I'm like, no, I'm just here to buy marijuana and leave. I'm not here to be mugged. Thank you. Bye. And eventually I got him to give up and just go mug somebody else. So I did have a tiny little bit of experience to to base my idiocy on, but obviously clearly not all that much. So I'm wandering aimlessly in Chicago, shoeless, smoking drums. And my buddies obviously did not suspect that they were sending me off to be victimized and robbed you know they wouldn't have they would have spoke up if they had thought about that but they too were not completely without functional non rat poisoning uh sprayed weed addled brains you know they 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 eventually pieced together when i'd be gone for about an hour and a half what had happened so they snap in action because they know they need to do something we still need weed so they go to an atm and take out like another $200 and they start trying to find uh find a guy and i guess they did eventually find these crew of dudes kind of quasi homeless shoe shiner you know the guys who like if you've spent a lot of time in cities who don't seem to have any place to go and will like shine shoes and and sit on curbs and stuff but also have like much nicer clothes than anything that you own i think it was like that kind of crew from what i hear These guys were the absolute salt of the earth, complete sweethearts, and they knew where to get weed, and they were going to hook us up a little bit later. This entire crew was just like, it was like Fat Albert's gang. They were just the coolest dudes, and sorry about what's happening to your buddy right now, but you find him, and we'll get you some weed, except for this one guy. And I think he was like the, the, the Fat Albert of the gang's misfit brother. And at some point, so I don't have shoes on. My buddies don't have shoes on. At some point, they're cool in their jets, hanging out with the gang when this dude shows up and he's very bothered by the fact that my friends don't have shoes on. And in his, as we are to find out, very drug-addled brain, he comes to the conclusion that if the police see him hanging out with people who don't have shoes, they will come to the logical conclusion that he has stolen their shoes and and arrest him. And he can't have that. So he runs off into some like 99 cent store and comes back with two pairs of socks. And because these guys were like shoe shiner, squeegee guy kind of guys. He likes squeegees, as I'm told, my buddy's feet. And then insists on putting the socks on for them. So now he is in his mind out of harm's way, legally speaking, because he has given his two new friends some socks to wear and the police are not going to find anything suspicious about about that so eventually miraculously i don't know how because i have a really bad sense of direction i find my way back to where we had parked our car just as my friends were there i think to leave a note on the car to write in code that the police could never figure out hey we know where to get some weed bah come find us at blah 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 and so we have a it was actually a pretty emotional like you know when you're like 17 year old you don't show 
emotion or affection around your friends. But when you think that one of your friends might possibly have died, that's like a group hug kind of situation. So we're very, very relieved. We're actually kind of happy, even though I've been mugged. Everything is fine. We have more money and we have the guys and we're going to get the weed. And this is just a this is just a minor speed bump on the way to our road trip glory. So the three of us go back to where they had been hanging out with the shoe shiner dudes and there's nobody there and that's a problem. But then the one guy, of course, that guy pops back out out of nowhere and says, what are you looking for? We're looking for your brother. What do you need? Uh, what do you need? Uh, he said he could get us some weed. Oh, don't worry about that. I can get you weed. No problem. The guy notices at that point that I'm not wearing shoes as we all have established. That's an issue for, uh, for him. So, he decides to take off his own shoes and have me wear them. So now my two buddies, Eric and Dan, are wearing new socks he's bought for them. He's wearing his own socks. I'm wearing his shoes, and he says he just needs to take us uh, somewhere so he can get us the weed. We know this is a horrible idea, but as I mentioned, it's just not an option for us to enter Minnesota without marijuana. So, along we go. I think the first thing that we did was hop in a taxi. Now, the leader of the Shoeshiner gang had told my buddy Dan that his brother used heroin. He said, stay away from him. He's on heroin. So we're with stay away from him heroin guy, and we get in a taxi, and he starts making small talk with Dan and he says, Hey man, did you ever try Coke? And Dan goes, no, I've never have. And he goes, Oh, you got to do it. It's great. I'm on it right now. So that's heroin and Coke that we know for a fact. But before we really have a chance for that fact to set in the, our dude, our, uh, our, our leader decides he has an issue with, I think the route that the taxi driver had taken. So he gets into an with the guy and the guy says, get out of the car. And our guy ins- insists that we all get out of the car. We're in the middle of a pretty busy intersection. I remember us blocking traffic, people beeping, et cetera, orders us to leave all the car doors open. And we comply because you know we just want the weed and we get out and then we hop on a bus and we're not on the bus for very, very long before our guy, not sure I ever did get his name, decides that he also takes some sort of umbrage with the way that the bus driver is doing his business. So he orders us to get off the bus, gets into a big argument with the bus driver. And I remember very, very dramatically grabs this big handful of bus transfers. And haha, that'll teach you to ride a bus in a straight line and stop every two to three blocks to let hardworking people on. I'm taking all these transfers that I might ride other buses at some point in the future and you can't stop me and nobody cares to stop this guy because bus drivers, you know, quite rightly don't value those transfers all that highly. So we head off and I guess we're close enough to our final destination that we we finish it, uh, our journey to the weed on foot. And we end up in this neighborhood and I know I've brought this part of the story up on air on the Jason Ellis show a number of times and people have piped in to tell me that they knew where I was. I forget what it is. I'm going to bet now it's like luxury high rises with Jamba Juice downstairs, like everywhere else that used to be shitty 20 years ago. But at the time, I was very, very shocked to learn that in a a North American city, there was a literal shanty town. We were in a like a an empty lot where people had fashioned homes for themselves out of scrap metal. It was like some some District 9 shit. And then our guy goes, all right, so now I can get you the weed. And we give him the dollars, and he tells us to wait by some bodega or something. And again, it would be one thing if we'd said, ah, we'll see if this guy comes back or not. But we just, we're taking the risk because we want to have weed and we're willing to risk getting robbed. I don't think it crossed any of our minds that we that he might just take the money, walk around the corner and disappear into into the mist. On the other hand, I guess we would not he probably would not have taken us on like planes, trains and automobiles to this location if that was his intention. So we give him, you know, just a bunch of 20s to go get us. I think it was supposed to be like 50 sacks of weed or whatever the hell number was nonsense was thrown around. 
And he says to us, and you're going to take care of me for helping you out, right? And my buddy Dan goes, of course, man, we'll get you a 40. And he goes, cool. So he goes, and he's gone long enough that we're like, oh, fuck, we're probably getting beat again. But lo and behold, he shows up, and he gives us two bags of weed. And these were dime bags, you know, and so we knew that we'd spent 80 bucks on 20 bucks worth of weed. But they say, you know, everyone knows... You know, weed addiction is not the same, obviously, as real drug addiction and Bob Saget. Do you ever suck dick for, for weed, et cetera? No, I've never sucked dick for weed. But I don't think, given all of the evidence I've given you so far, anybody could plausibly argue that I was not at that point in my time, along with my two friends, addicted to marijuana. Because all any of us were thinking, despite everywhere the day had already taken us, was at least we got some weed. At least we're going to get high. And that sort of justifies all of this. So I don't remember exactly how we transitioned from that. Maybe our guy was going to take us back to the neighborhood where he found us or whatever, but he needed a quick pit stop and he instructed us to form a little friendship circle around him to shield him from prying eyes and from the wind so that he could smoke a little crack. And that's the first time I've ever seen anybody smoke crack. So supposedly his brother says he's on heroin. He says he's on coke. We've now seen him smoke crack. That is the trifecta. And it definitely has an effect on his temperament. He was a bit erratic before that, as you've probably noticed, but he got he got energized and became a little bit more aggressively erratic after that. And I think he wanted. Well, first of all, he said, so where's my 40 bucks? And we said, where well, he said, we'd get you a 40. And he says, no, I wanted $40. And he's angry about that. But we've already given him all of our dollars. And he knows that. I guess you can't really hold it against a crackhead on smack and coke for not making total logical sense. It is the blind leading the blind here. But he's like taking us to get a ride somewhere or maybe find another bus. I don't I don't recall. But he's going He's going pretty fast. And my buddies still have the socks that he bought them. And I'm still wearing his shoes. And he's got a little head of steam. He's kind of power walking going, come on, guys, come on. And he gets maybe like 15 paces ahead of us to where we have just enough separation that I just look at my buddies. We're all thinking the same thing. I go, this is our only chance. Turn around and run the other way. So we do. We we haul ass and we run around a corner. And again, I didn't know that there were areas of major American cities that could have gone to seed quite to this extent. I remember us finding our way to a different vacant lot where there's just weeds, tall grasses naturally growing high enough that we could like hide in them like Scooby-Doo style. And we do that while we try to plot our next move. We are scared for our lives. We have no idea where we are. We're in no man's land and we don't really know where we even need to be going so it's a bit of a bit of a broad daylight waking nightmare as we start to ponder our options this car rolls around the corner and our guy is inside with a buddy of his that i think supped us at the shanty town and i can see very clearly i've never seen a shotgun in my life there's a shotgun in the back seat of the car and there's just something about being that young where it still doesn't quite like sink in that maybe I am about to die or I certainly could be about to die. That is a thing that that guy brought for a reason that could include making me die. But we still kind of held our ground. And I remember we emerge from our Scooby-Doo hiding and come on the sidewalk because he could easily see us from the street. And I guess he knew where we were going to run anyway. And his buddy gets out of the car, shotgun guy. I don't think he took it with him, but we could see it. And he starts like, what the fucking us? And I recall that our second mugger of the day was very territorial with us. We were definitely his bitch. And he shouted that guy down and made him get back in the car. Like, leave my friends alone. And when he does that, he then confronts us and he's like, where's my 40 bucks? We don't have 40 bucks. We're each in our pocket. We have like three bucks worth of bar cabbage. And we give it to him and we say, and this is the truth, we say, I guess he could have just taken the weed back. I don't know why. Now that I'm saying it out loud, he didn't do that. But we say, what are we supposed to do? This is all of the money that we have. And I remember he stood there for a minute and he pondered. 
And I was like, his nostrils were flaring. He was so angry and he was on crack cocaine. And he goes, motherfucker. Motherfucker. Like he just so angry and doesn't know how to deal with us. And he goes, give me the, give me the three bucks. And we give him the dollars. And without any expression, he reaches into like his back pocket and he pulls out a handful of bus transfers and he goes, all right, you're going to get on the M81. It's about two blocks that way. And you take it to blah, blah, blah. And then you transfer to the blah, blah, blah. And you guys will be on your way. And so we're, we're good. We're done. We're out of there. And again, we're fucking happy. We're actually happy that we have $20 worth of weed to show for, I don't know, we've been mugged out of $250, $300 that day, to say nothing of, you know, um, our troubles. And that's it. And we we smoke some weed and it's horrible shit and it's got rat poison in it and we have a horrible time and we wash it down with like some laser or bull ice or what have you. And that's that. And then the next day we are in Minnesota. And like I mentioned in, in this 82 Oldsmobile, two people could sit in the front and then the person in the back had to kind of lay there. And we had a, I can't believe I'm saying this. I'm going to have to delete this in a couple of years before my child has a chance to listen to it. Even though they say kids are, are different. Like every generation kind of rebels against the one before. And we were so stupid that they actually are bright enough and composed enough to just look at us and judge us for the stupid monsters that we were and go, why would I do that? That doesn't even sound like fun. You could have died. Shotguns, crack for 10 bucks worth of weed. Really, Dad? Like, I, I actually kind of feel like when I look in my almost eight-year-old's eyes that I can already see him not wanting to do this stuff. But just to be safe, I'll probably I'll probably delete this before he figures out how to, to download things. So here's the next part. We're going along, and like I say, I don't have a driver's license, so we have a cooler. A cooler in our car. We're 17, maybe 18 years old, and I'm just drinking beers. And probably Meisterbrow. Meisterbrow was kind of our our shit beer of choice back then. That got me through the blizzard of 86 more or less single-handed. Thank you, Meisterbrow, available for six to eight bucks a case in those days. Solid deal. And I'm drinking all day, hanging out in the backseat of the car, cruising along, enjoying our $20 worth of shit weed. And I, uh, I've probably put down between, between, probably put down about, about eight beers, which when you are an alcoholic and you're a teenager is actually not all that much, but it is now my turn to drive. I know what you're thinking. You don't have a driver's license. Yes, but I did take regular shifts steering from the passenger seat because it's, which sounds uh, worse than I think it actually was. We're off in the middle of America. Very often we have very long stretches of road where there's little to no traffic and you know we're just driving in a straight line and somebody really can kind of hold down i'm not advocating this but you know what i'm saying it really wasn't that bad somebody could just sit sit there with their left hand and keep you in between the lines and i was usually pretty good at that but not when i'd been drinking as it turned out so (laughs) so i we pull over and i take over and the, the problem is we're in a tiny little bit of i wouldn't say like a metropolis but we're not in the middle of nowhere and i i maintain to this day that I would have been able to drive just fine. I just got off to a little bit of a rocky start. And as we pull on the road, I'm I'm right-handed and I'm driving lefty and I'm shit-faced. And we swerve and a cop immediately pulls us over. And we'd already, I think, been pulled over a couple times. We got pulled over a lot on that trip. It's pretty amazing when you are among the classes of Americans for whom the police have to actually respect the laws and rules of, you know, search and seizure and all that. I remember later on in this trip being somewhere in the South and a guy just looking at easy wider rappers and Bob Marley cassettes and us still saying, nope, we, we refuse to let you search our car. And him just being like, God damn it. And pulling it back up and his boss being like, please. And then they just eventually had to let us go. That did happen a couple of times this time. I forget the reason why might've been when they brought in the dogs that they were able to get inside of our vehicle. So they, so I'm getting ahead of it a little bit. They, we swerve, we're in Minnesota. They pull us over. They assume that the driver is drunk. They're very surprised to find out that the passenger's loaded, but the driver's just fine. 
um, and they ask us if they can search our car and we say no. And then I guess I forget exactly. They bring the dogs. Would a dog be able to smell weed from like through a car door? through a passenger seat because in my memory that's about what i remember is they're like can we search it and we say no and we're thinking we're getting away with it and then they bring in the dog and the dog starts working walking around and we hear the dog start barking and we know that we are fucked and none of us are in the car at the time so they come over and they they ask they say my sister's name and they say who is you know my sister and because as i mentioned we had this briefcase my dad's briefcase and uh, I guess the combination lock did not hold out for us, or maybe they figured out that the combination was zero 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 or you know four twenty or whatever the fuck we we sent it to. And I'd been writing postcards to my family that I hadn't actually gotten around to mailing yet, so I'm like four states behind the postcard where it was supposed to go from. But I have written notes to people, and I guess legally they had to assign the weed to somebody. And since I had other personal effects in the briefcase, I become the fall guy for for our weed, and. I get arrested and um, and it's crazy because it's like a half a bag of weed and it's like four bucks worth of weed. And, you know, one day I will tell my child, my children, that I was arrested for four dollars worth of marijuana when marijuana will be something that they only know to have been legal. And I will seem like it'll sound like when women weren't allowed to vote or during prohibition or, or what have you. It'll actually probably make me sound kind of cool. And so I get arrested. And I get taken downtown, and I remember I'm in a holding cell, and I recall singing beautifully, I thought, Amazing Grace, enjoying the natural acoustics of the holding cell. I was the only person in there, and the cop was not amused by that at all, told me to shut up. Meanwhile, my buddies have to bail me out. It's like, you know, the way these things work. It's like 153, 62, or something like that. So they go off, and ATMs were not nearly as easy to find in 1995, 96, whenever this was. So they go to a grocery store that's open, and they're able to take out like 160 bucks. But it, it takes them some doing. They don't know where they are. You know, we don't have phones. You forget what it was like. You couldn't just search and, you know, see where the nearest ATM was. They have to find a place, and they get the cash. And they come back, and they give the cop 160 bucks on 150 52 and change tab and the cop goes what do i look like a change bank so they go back because we are not only morons we are assholes i think that should be pretty clear by now as well we're getting exactly what we deserve so my friends go back to the grocery store and they change in all the 20s for rolls of quarters and i'm told come back and violently slap them down one by one in front of the cop so 10 bucks explodes, 20 bucks explodes, there's quarters going everywhere. Are you happy now, pigs? And I think my friend actually had an anti-cop uh, bumper sticker, like a donut joke on his car when we went off across this. He definitely owned one. I think it was on that car. We were, as I said, not bright, deserved everything we got in far more than what we what we did. I My friend told me later he was kind of like held in a choking position up against the wall by the police. I am pro-police. I don't blame them at all. And I, he's not here right now, but I'm sure my buddy Eric disagrees that they were well within their rights to do that to him. He's a fucking asshole. And then the cop comes up to me and he goes, you better get out of here fast. You're bailed out, but your friends are about to get arrested. So I get out of there. And this is finally our comeuppance. I was raised a good kid. My parents did not raise me to be this kind of person. I went to Catholic school. I was not supposed to be smoking weed. I was not supposed to be doing whatever crime it is to be driving from the passenger seat with some Meisterbrow in me. I wasn't supposed to be getting arrested. I wasn't supposed to be getting bailed out of holding cells in Minnesota. I felt I felt bad. I felt beaten. America had beaten us. And I felt embarrassed. And I felt shamed. And we... That was a real low. And we got in the car, and I think it was probably the, the only time in the entire trip that we didn't have any music on. And we had a serious conversation about, do we turn back? Because we were, you know, barely halfway across America. And if you're going to go all the way to California and back, we're really only a quarter of the way into our journey. But we just decided that we had gone too far and that... um we just we, we weren't going to do that. So I think we probably slept on the side of the road let, that night. We The whole time, we had one or two friends, and we had money to stay in two or three cheap motels. Like <clears throat> We used to go to Arby's, man, and we'd buy – they had meat and beef and cheese sandwiches. They were five for, a, five for $5, and we'd just drive around all day just 
whenever the mood striking us, eating the beef and cheese. We're chain smoking. Man, I don't know how people smoke like five packs of cigarettes a day. Jackie Gleason allegedly smoked between five packs and nonstop every day. Because I remember one day we were smoking so much we decided to try to set personal records. And I think I and I was just sitting in a car all day getting high listening to music. I was really ideal record-setting conditions. And the same way they go out to the salt flats to try to set land speed records, this was the right time for me to set a personal smoking record. And I still barely topped uh, two packs. And boy, did I hate those last 20 or so. That's neither here nor there. So we probably pitch a tent and sleep on the side of the road and weird people would just, you'd hear on the gravel in the rest area. Cause we weren't like camping in camping spots. We were just camping at, you know, places where people get abducted or never heard from again. And you'd hear somebody walk up, you'd hear the on the gravel and you could tell that they're like five feet away from you. And you're separated by this little piece of tent that like a, a knife could very quickly go through in Jason Voorhees, Voorhees esque fashion. Um, so we had a, a creepy, sad, cold, bummer, defeated night. And we woke up the next morning and we went to Badlands National Park, which is in South Dakota. South Dakota is a whole other story. We were, I was witness to a, a keg robbing at Glock Point. My friend got assaulted by a lady. Uh, I mean, anyway, isn't it funny though? This is like the greatest memories ever. I think everybody has these stories that are just horrendously bad, nothing good about them stories that are like still the good old days. The good old days almost invariably suck. Right here, right now, being an adult, mwah, love it. So anyway, we go to Badlands. I don't know if people have been to Badlands or live near there or have seen photos. It looks like the surface of the moon. It was perfect for our mood to just be sitting in just black, ashy, desolate nothingness, staring at the void. No more jokes, no more fun, no more we're the king of the world, taking it to America. We're just broken and trying to survive. <clears throat> and we're sitting there not talking. And it occurs to me that I got arrested with a bag of weed, but that we had actually bought from our crack addicted, heroin addicted, coke addicted friend in Chicago, two bags of weed. And I go, hey guys, did they ever find that other bag of weed? And nobody said a word. And we all looked at each other and wordlessly hopped to our feet and sprinted back to the car. And we rifled through things and we found a pair of jeans. I think they were my pair of jeans. And we found in the back pocket, the butt pocket, another half-smoked bag of dirt, rat poison coated weed. And we went back into Badlands National Park and rolled up a joint. And I swear to God, I have never gotten higher or been happier from being high in my whole entire life than I did from that one shit joint of weed that cost me in the end about $500 and that is that story in its entirety at least to the best of my memory I thank you as always for listening to the Tully show and I look forward to a day I believe it will come when some other warm blooded human beings will join me here in studio as guests until then thanks for listening don't forget to go pre-order the new book still awesome that I wrote with Jason Ellis at jasonellisbook.com. Thanks, folks. Happy holidays. See you next time.